Across the Margin Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Shields. In 2005, 15 years ago, from just last month, the entire world watched as New Orleans was nearly wiped off the map. The levees ruptured and New Orleans drowned. We would later learn that around 1,600 deaths were attributed to the event, a number that rises to over 2,000 when you include the trauma of relocation, illness, and from suicide. On top of that, Hurricane Katrina caused $161 billion worth of damage. To this day, the costliest hurricane in U.S. history. From the outside looking in, it seemed clear that the devastation was nature's doing. Turns out, there was far more to it. Turns out, so much of the lives lost and damage occurred could have and should have been prevented. What is clear now is that the agency that bears the brunt of the blame for what happened that day is the Army Corps of Engineers, who built the levees that were supposed to protect New Orleans from storms such as Katrina. What we know now is that those levees were destined to fail. One of the reasons we know that, and how we do in such detail, is due to the tireless work of our guest on the program today, Sandy Rosenthal. Sandy is an American civic activist and the founder of Levees.org, an organization dedicated to educating the American public about the levee failures and flooding in New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina. Sandy recently penned the book, Words Whispered in Water, Why the Levees Broke in Hurricane Katrina. What Words Whispered in Water amounts to is the tale of how Sandy, through exhaustive research and investigating, exposes the truth about what happened with the levees during Hurricane Katrina, revealing how accountable the Army Corps of Engineers were for the egregious design errors that put so many at risk. Beyond taking the Army Corps to task for their lack of preparedness for a storm like Katrina, and the disconcerting and penny-pinching reasons why, Words Whispered in Water tells the story of a massive cover-up by the Army Corps that involved a slew of government agencies, the media, and the engineering establishment at large. At every turn following Katrina, the Corps lied. This search was just too great for the system. So the system didn't fail, it got overran. And they spread the blame around as much as possible. But Sandy's book and all her work leading up to it exposed the truth that ultimately compelled the media and the government to reveal what really happened. And Sandy's book explores it all with zest. And what's maybe most remarkable in contemplation of Sandy's work and her book is that all she's done is an authentic, inspiring example of what one person can do when they really care about something passionately. As you will hear in the interview, her work has even expanded to similar problems in Michigan and California. It's beyond impressive what she has and is accomplishing. I love New Orleans. It's truly one of my favorite places on this fascinating planet we reside on. It's why I picked up this book, to learn about what the city went through 15 years ago, and why. It's why I'm so thrilled to celebrate one of its heroes, which Sandy Rosenthal most assuredly is. And it's why I've visited often some of the most memorable trips I've had. Most often, and we are in Segway territory here, it was for music, another podcast that is part of the Osiris Media Group, which we are a proud member of. 
that celebrates the music of New Orleans is called The Festival Circuit. The Festival Circuit is a podcast focusing on the musical impact of festivals around the world. Season one focuses on the music of New Orleans and the annual jazz festival there. It sets out to answer the question, what is it that makes New Orleans such a special place for music? The series features interviews with George Porter Jr., Ivan Neville, Irma Thomas, Andy Osborne, and dozens of other musicians. Real quick, here's the trailer for the festival circuit. We have our own musical style. Not a little bit. Like, you'll play some New Orleans music, and that's only happening here. You just can't get away from it. What is it about New Orleans that makes it such a special place for music? Is it the families of the city? There was a point later, later on, where Charles, Cyril, us, and my uncle Art, we all lived within two blocks of one another. It was just, music was everywhere, man. Is it the centuries of unique history? New Orleans is the only city that I'm aware of that actually melts the cultures together, including our food and our music. And and because of when the slaves came over, they used music as a form of communication. And then as times grew and the, the slavery ended and we started getting more visitors, the cultures in this city seem to melt together. We take a little bit from each one of the cultures and we use it within the formula of the music. Or is it the rhythm? I look at New Orleans as the northernmost part of the Caribbean. We get all of those rhythms tied into it, you know, the Trecejo, the Bambula, and all these different rhythms. And you hear it in all the music that we play, but the culture that's behind all those rhythms is all celebratory. And, you know, it's, it's deeply African. So that's kind of what makes New Orleans different from even anywhere outside of New Orleans. Or is it something more spiritual? Tori Amos told me one time that the veil between the living and the dead is much thinner in New Orleans than it is other places. Um, so that's something that a lot of folks believe. And uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. I've, I've only had experience on one side of that veil, so I, I couldn't really say. On July 9th, from Osiris Media, comes Festival Circuit New Orleans. This five-part series will explore everything about the music of the city and about the jazz festival that just celebrated its 50th anniversary. From the beginning of the Jazz Fest... That's when the notion of, oh, we can do this. This can happen in New Orleans. In fact, wouldn't it be amazing if it was something that celebrated the music that's already here? and the culture that's already here, we don't have to import anything. To the most memorable performances in the 50-year history. I would have said when I was younger, I hate Springsteen. That Seeger Sessions, which I think everyone has probably mentioned. After Katrina, that was one of the most cathartic, powerful, most amazing things. People were weeping. We'll hear from Ivan Neville, George Porter Jr., Irma Thomas, Anders Osborne, Ben Jaffe, Papa Molly, and dozens of other musicians. We'll also talk to writers, academics, and music fans about what makes the music of the city so unique. Subscribe now and tune in on July 9th as we explore the power of music in New Orleans. Sucks.
episodes from that just first season. All of that is available now. So, let's get into it. In this interview, Sandy tells us some about her organization. That's levies.org. Check it out. And then we dig into the pages of her book where we discuss the Army Corps of Engineers' failures, their ensuing cover-up, which is absolutely fascinating. They went to all lengths and uh, a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy this interview with Sandy Rosenthal. Podcast. Thank you so much for uh, being on the program. Um, uh, your book is entirely eye-opening and um, inspiring on many levels. Um, before we get into the book a little bit, I was wondering, and I know this is related to the book uh, wholly, but I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about levies.org. Excuse me. I am most happy to. Um, I began my organization after the flooding of New Orleans, mm-hmm. and I watched while the people of New Orleans were being characterized as irresponsible and not deserving of help and a burden on our nation. And I had trouble living with that. And so I um, put together a group with, starting with myself and my 15-year-old son, oh, wow. uh, who was a webmaster, mm-hmm. and we created levies.org. I love it. With a mission of education about why the region flooded during Hurricane Katrina. So that's where it all began with you um, collecting all your data. I mean, your research is just really um, unbelievable. Like going, reading your book, just uh, pouring over minutes of meetings, over all the reports. Uh-huh. It's just really incredible. It's a data dance and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's so great. But uh, I was curious if you could speak kind of generally of your aim of um, bringing this book to life. What what was it that you set out to make clear when you um, wrote Words Whispered on Water? Well, well certainly. Um, that's a very good question. Um, again, um, the people of New Orleans were blamed for the flooding of New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina, mm. and I had trouble living with that, especially uh, because the, the organization responsible was the federal government, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. They had misdesigned their levees, and then they broke when storm surge arrived. And and that's not the worst part. Uh, it's bad enough that their levees broke, and it's their fault. Mm-hmm. But the Army Corps also waged a campaign and spent millions and millions of dollars misleading the, the American public about why the region flooded and misleading Congress. Um, and um, don't forget, they also uh, harassed and uh, anyone who stood up to them, including me and my group. How was it so that they did those that? Those two things together. How was it that they harassed? I saw I saw you mentioned multiple times that they harassed you and your group. In what way did they go about that? Well, the, the main way they did it was um, keep in mind this is 2005 to 2008, and this was kind of the wild west mm-hmm. of of online commenting. Now it's moderated. Now uh, the New York Times and major media will will insist that you um, tell them who you are and where you live and what your phone number is. But this is the Wild West uh, in 2005 to 08 and and as late as 2010 or even later. And online, 
uh, the Army Corps of Engineers had a team of people going after me personally and my family personally and anybody who who agreed with what I was saying on on major major newspapers like the local New Orleans Times-Picayune. Wow. You just mentioned um, Times-Picayune because the media did, you know, play a huge role in hiding the truth, including um, the the TP. Um, Yes, they did. So how did they get cooperation? And, and, And I mean, anything you can tell us about that working relationship to cover things up, I'd love to hear. In my book, I I very carefully laid out how the local uh, newspaper, the Mm -hmm. Times-Picayune, had an agreement among their reporters not to criticize the Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, I I showed how it happened in many ways, and I also have people who were working there at that time who in sworn affidavit say there was a campaign, uh, there was an agreement with the local paper to be soft on the Army Corps. They, 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 the poor Army Corps had been through so much, and uh, there was an agreement. Now, with, you're asking me why and, and, mm-hmm. and how, why they did it. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I can only talk about what I can prove. Yep, absolutely. That's completely fair. Um, curious, kind of generally speaking, what do you think the – Biggest reveal in your book. Uh, there was so much, so much that I was coming upon that I was just, you know, my jaw kept dropping over and over again. What, what would you think that most people out there don't know uh, happened that caused this that you would find in uh, words whispered on, in water? I believe most people don't know that the levee failure was uh, absolutely a design flaw by the federal government. You, you, you need to remember that the, uh, the court found the Army Corps of Engineers not, not liable yeah. for, for money damages. I'm Crazy. sure the whole nation remembers that, mm-hmm. that the courts found the Army Corps of Engineers, even though it was their design flaw, they were not found financially liable. What happens in the minds of the American people if they see there was no financial damages awarded, in their mind, uh, the case had no merit. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and nothing could be farther from the truth. The Army Corps was responsible. The people of New Orleans were, were kicked in the gut at the worst possible time, uh, right after they were flooded and all of their family members were killed. So this is the, the major reason that I sat down and wrote Words Whispered yeah. in the Water. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. It, so many would think just from that um, that verdict that they were exonerated, and that is surely not the case. It's detailed great, uh, greatly in your book. So, undoubtedly and sadly, there's a great deal of blame to be you know divvied out here with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers surely deserving the brunt. But um, in a very intense chapter of your book called "The Flood," you spoke of how FEMA is um, responsible for the lack of reliable inf- information that falls squarely on them, and it might have been FEMA's most egregious crime. And I was wondering how so. Well, yes. Um, the First of all, nobody would ever have heard of Michael Brown uh, had the levees not broke. Yep. Uh, so keep that in mind. But mm-hmm. the levees did broke, and President Bush did install Michael Brown as head of FEMA. And the I believe, and as I state in my book, uh, I believe FEMA's single biggest error was not having a a mobile tower, a portable mobile cell tower 
in New Orleans before the storm hit. Mm-hmm. Had the the federal government has amazing uh, amazing uh, technology and equipment uh, sitting there in hangars waiting to be used. Uh, had they just been wheeled into the city before the storm arrived, and then after the, and and after the the rain stopped, which was only you know hurricanes came come through quickly, mm-hmm. and after the rain stopped six hours later, they could have wheeled that baby out, cranked that thing up, and we would have had. A, a small, but we would have had some sort of communication between first responders and Washington, D.C. You have to realize that for days and days, New Orleans went dark. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that will be the last time in American history that an entire metropolitan city is cut off from the rest of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that um, that little baby you're speaking of, it was Red October, right? That communication. That Red October. Yeah, that was, that's unbelievable. And yeah, I think it was, um, it wasn't just Michael Brown, but it was uh, Phil Parr, I believe was the, uh, mm-hmm. the other one responsible there. Yeah, that was, that was scary. Cause I mean, literally lives were, could have been saved uh, just by having that uh, just closer to town and, and people can communicate. That was devastating. Stepping back some in time a little bit um, and your book addresses this, um, Deeply, but I think it's very important to bring up. Uh, why weren't the flood? Why weren't there floodgates in place um, before Katrina? That is um, a, a little bit more of a complex question, and without getting into the weeds, sure. the Army Corps of Engineers uh, had decided on their own that uh, raising the walls was a just as good as floodgates, mm. and decided to to do that. And then after the, those those walls fell over. Um, the Army Corps put out a basically a story saying, oh, well, we, we really wanted to build gates and, and the locals wouldn't let us. And it was a story um, and, and that, that had really not even a kernel of truth to it. And, but, the, but the issue is most people would believe the Army Corps of Engineers. I mean, you have to keep in mind the Army Corps has 200 years of experience. Yeah. They are, the, they are the, the gold standard of levee building. At least we thought they mm-hmm. were until Katrina's surge arrived. Mm-hmm. And why, you know, these, why would the American people doubt them? These are the people that had built tens of thousands of miles of levee in the Mississippi, the mm-hmm. Missouri, and the Ohio River, capable of withstanding surge heights of 20 feet every single year for 30 days or more. So I, to blame the Army Corps just seemed crazy. Um, it, people, I think in people's minds, and I forgive them, they had trouble believing it's anyone's fault but ours for living here. And I do need to point out that 62%, almost two-thirds of the American people, lives in counties by levees. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. is a major federal issue, and that's another reason I sat down and wrote Words Whispered in Water. Yeah, it's. I mean, it all came down to uh, to money. There, they. Uh, it seems that the 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 gate plan. Um, it was uh, it was cheaper, and he, he just it, they, they it just, was cheaper. They um, just couldn't the, justify a higher expense, which is really it, thinking in hindsight. That's 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 horrible. It it was cheaper. It yeah. was a lot less um, less expensive, mm-hmm. um, and and so you, but you, keep, you have to keep in mind uh, that. The Army Corps, you know, they went out there saying, oh, well, there was a better solution and they forced us to build this this uh, inferior solution. Yeah. That, that isn't what happened. Uh, I will say that the Army Corps uh, did not knowingly give us fragile levees that they knew would break. They mm-hmm. made a mistake. Yep. And that is I, I uh, that fair. has been documented in the mm-hmm. study that studies. That is what I believe. Yep. Nonetheless, 
that doesn't absolve them from misleading the American public about that mistake. Absolutely. And, how, and, and going so deep to cover it up. What was really one thing that I found really, really interesting, we already talked about the paper helping them and the media helping them some, but uh, the engineering establishment was helping them, specifically mm-hmm. the American Society of Civil Engineers. Can you speak on that some? That was kind of mind-blowing to me. That was, They were in lockstep. Yeah, they were. Um, fortunately, uh, I was able to, myself, not my alone, uh, nothing important is done alone, and I make that very clear mm-hmm. in my book. Um, but uh, I, uh, I and, and, and several uh, uh, colleagues of mine actually um, caught the American Society of Civil Engineers several times uh, trying to protect the Army Corps and, and got found out. Unbelievable. Really, really unbelievable. Um this is kind of a, a, a t- touch off step, but um, I, I'm guessing at this point with, with all your research and your expertise now, I'm sure you're very informed about levy issues in other states. Um, for example, dam failures that uh, were privately owned in uh, Michigan that recently breached and in, in that I saw in the news. Anything you can tell us about that or what happened there? Do you, do you, are you familiar with that? I'm sure. I, I can. Um, oh, cool. d- during COVID, uh, uh, during the worldwide pandemic, uh, two independently owned dams broke. Fortunately, there was no death, but you know, hundreds of families had to be relocated uh, in Michigan, in the middle of the state. Uh, and the, uh, the environmental damage is, is, is awesome, it's absolutely terrible. Yeah. But what I found most um, egregious is that the dam, the DAM safety committee, asked the owners of those dams to conduct an independent investigation to figure out what went wrong. Well, if you ask the owner of a dam mm-hmm. to, to, to find out what went wrong, what do you think you're going to find out? Mm-hmm. So my organization published a white paper and we put it up on, on Facebook and social media. And we also wrote to the local news stations and said, this is unconscionable. You, you cannot asked the dam owner to investigate his own dam failure. And as a result of our asking questions and pointing this out, the Dam Safety Committee did assign an independent organization to do that investigation. Therefore, and this is important for your listeners, Mm -hmm. the the power of a single person is alive and well. Alive and well. You just have to speak up. That's a huge take-home message from your book. It's inspiring. I mean, you just it, anyone can make a difference if, if they want to, and it just that's that's a big thing there. So I need to know this, uh, based on your knowledge of, of everything in New Orleans at this point, your experience over the years. How safe are the people of uh, New Orleans today? Okay, I'm going to answer your first question first, and then that one. I, I do want to point out that more Please. people in California are in danger of levee failure causing salt water intrusion in their drinking water yep. than the entire state of Texas, Mississippi, and Louisiana combined. Wow. So again, levee failure is not a New Orleans mm-hmm. problem. And But getting back to New Orleans, yeah. yes, um, after the levees broke in New Orleans and after the people of this great city were turned into a poster child, the federal government did uh, give the Army Corps, the people responsible for the failure, $14 billion and said, okay, this time, Build it, and this time build it right. And oh, by the way, build it really, really, really fast, where you realize that what a what a uh, challenge that is. Uh, to, to the Army Corps' credit, they did do a good job of addressing the biggest problems that went wrong when Katrina arrived, when its surge arrived. Oh, by the way, those walls broke before they even got to the top of the walls. Mm-hmm. Those walls were destined 
to fail. They were doomed to fail because of the poor design. Anyway, getting back to today, uh, we do have a better system. However, you will not find one single expert who will agree that that the flood protection that was built for the city after the levees broke is the proper and the right system for a city of our size, the number of people, and the amount of infrastructure, and we are a port city. You will not find a single expert that thinks 100-year protection is good enough. We should have had 500-year or 1,000-year protection, which is a technical term, but you can look it up, and it would not have cost much more. It only would have cost a little more, but I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it it does. It's all all a little foreboding that what you mentioned about California just kind of blew my mind, too, and I just... I can't help but thinking that Katrina was kind of this um, wake-up call that you know is not getting answered to so many people about failing inf- infrastructure and lack of preparedness uh, all across the country. It's really scary, you know. The people of California uh, sat up and took note and got mm-hmm. to work uh, working on the levees. Um, governor Schwarzenegger was governor at the mm-hmm. time, and oh, they did take note. Uh, we 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 were a poster child, and and at least. Uh, if some good is not comforting to us, yeah. especially if your aunt died in her attic, mm-hmm. she wouldn't much care about uh, what's going on in California. Sure. However, uh, the 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 the, uh, the, uh, the debacle that happened here mm-hmm. 15 years ago did change America as we know it. Yep. I mean, I can give you a, a long list of examples, but that's also in my book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to save some for the readers, of course. Um, and that's good. I mean... Uh, yeah, it doesn't help someone who's who's hurt and lost so much, but at least there's some no, it some good of it. But um, to kind of bring it home a little bit in in writing, uh, words whispered in water. What would you say is the uh, primary message here? Kind of something the readers can uh, take with them. The the reason I sat down and wrote the book is I felt that uh, the people of this great nation needed to know what happened here 15 years ago. And I also hope to inspire. I mean, yeah. if, if, if you see a wrong in your town, in your state, or in your, even in your country, you do have the power to fix it. And I give a lot of those tools and tricks in my book. One of the things I'm still having trouble wrapping my head around though, is that so far everyone who's read my book claims it reads like a Grisham novel on a summer beach, <laughs> that they can't put it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not expect that. Uh, I, um, I thought I had a, a big old data-dense textbook on my hands, and it turns out it's quite readable. Oh, absolutely. No, there's a ton of narrative in there, and, and I, I've been focus, focusing a lot on the research, but there's a lot of narrative. It, it's, it's very easy reading and, and delightful reading. I mean, delightful is a tough word for the topic, but it's, 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 you rip through it. I definitely did. Um, it's intense. It's well written. Um, it brings readers right into into the into the storm during the storm, before, after, and um, yeah, it's it's really special. And uh, your work is so crucial. So I'm so glad you took time here to uh, talk to us about it today, Sandy. Thank you. My pleasure.
This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at osirispod.com.